Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Tennis with an Accent. Day five of Wimbledon is in the books. And Mert Tunga has retired to his uh, comfortable apartment and is gracious enough and kind enough to do a quick podcast to go over how the first five days have unfolded. Uh, and most of you have always enjoyed his presence, and so have I. Welcome, Mert, and looking forward to another exciting chat. Always a pleasure to chat with you, Sakib, as usual. Uh, so uh, we were just talking uh, before we started recording. Uh, so you watched some of Federer's match today, and he's uh, coming in as a, a favorite. And in, in before the tournament started, he was also your favorite to win this thing. So whatever have you seen of him? Are you still maintaining he's the man to beat? Of course, his draw has opened up with Marin Cilic gone now. Quite a few things have changed. But overall narrative, according to you, is it still Federer's tournament to lose? For sure, for sure, it's uh, he's still the clear favorite. Even though I personally was not impressed with his play today, he served incredibly well, uh, and, uh, and 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 really uh, he needed just one break in in each of the first two sets, and the one and the only two games, the only two return games where where he got up love fifteen or he got to thirty all, you could see that he uh, he he buckled the belt down and 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 took his opportunity and broke and that was enough for him because he's so he's serving so well a lot of, a lot of his, a lot of his serves don't even come back and I and if I, correct me if I'm wrong but I don't think he's been broken yet in this tournament and uh, he's uh, so so his serve is working very well I didn't think he had everything else clicking on all cylinders he 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 made some errors from the baseline. Uh, but but I don't want to say uh, uh, too much about it because I did not get to see too much of his first two rounds. In other words, I saw a couple of games of his first round, about four games of his second set in the second round. So I can't really uh, talk. But I but I if 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 he had played, uh, maybe you watched it. I'm not sure, but uh, I, I would I would expect that Federer would uh, would raise his game from what I've seen today even outside of the serves, and, and he will probably need to later on. Although his, his draw is opening up a little bit compared to when, when, when the draw was first announced. It, it kind of resembles last year, where, uh, where when the first draw was first announced, he, it seemed like he might have a tough road to the finals. But now here, it's opening up. I mean, uh, he's playing Manorino next. Um, and then he's going to play, you know, assuming that he beats Manorino, he's going to play the winner of Monfis and Anderson. And if if Monfis beats Anderson, I don't know. I, I think he has even less of a chance of beating Federer than Anderson does. And then on the other side, there's Milos Raonic, who is always a dangerous player for Federer on fast courts. But, uh, you know, his match was suspended today at once at all and on serve in the, in the third set. So you never know. And then there's, uh, you know, John Isner on his side. And then there's Tsitsipas, who's playing fabulous. I just don't know if anyone here is a, is a true menace to Federer reaching the finals. But, yes, he's the clear favorite still. Yeah, definitely you're right. It has softened his draw compared to last year because last year uh, he dismissed Dimitrov on Manic Monday. And, again, uh, it was an easy match, but Dimitrov is uh, at least still in the big player category and that's still a big matchup. And then he had to go through Raonic and Burdick. So this year, definitely, it's looking uh, more routine. But again, you know, you never know what can happen on a given day. Yes, uh, so yes. That point, let me ask you, I know you said you didn't watch much of Federer this week till this point. So you think at this stage of his career, he really has to play his best tennis? Because he's still getting it done in the first week without losing his serve, without losing a set. So and second week is when you can, you know, pick up the intensity. So you expect him to be firing on all cylinders in second week? I know it's more like a generic question, but 
Uh, my point is, in the first week, it doesn't really have to go all out. No, no, it's actually a very uh, important question uh, that you're asking, Sakit, because there's this general impression with which I don't quite agree that uh, that a player can somehow go on second or third gear. A player, uh, one of the, I'm talking about the elite players here, not just Federer, but uh, all the others too. That they that they they somehow have the luxury to go on second or third gear and and uh, against uh, earlier opponents because they don't need to play their best to win. And it's true, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's this impression that players do that on purpose, and and nobody chooses to play at a level worse than the best that they can play that day by choice. Nobody does that by choice. If if a player plays average or mediocre, let, let's take Federer, Nadal, Djokovic uh, you know, on the men's side. If they happen to play badly in the first round or second round, sure, that might still be enough and they might still win. But I don't think they they sit there and come out of that match thinking, Oh man, I'm 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 glad I played the not so good. That way, I can keep some of that some of the quality tennis that that uh, in my pocket and use it next week. Whereas uh, if I used it today, then I would not have had it. No, I don't think any player thinks this way. I think any player, including the elite players, when they go out, they want to play well and they want to come off the court feeling that they played good tennis. Now, if if Federer plays. And then let's take Federer for an example, but we can take anyone for this. If Federer plays mediocre tennis in his first, second, or third rounds, yes, that might still be enough for him to win, and he might be in the quarterfinals, but I don't think he will feel that good about his game. So he may not want to put his his, – I mean, it's not necessary for him to play five-star tennis. But it is necessary for him to play well enough to where he feels good about his tennis throughout the week in order to challenge the quarterfinals and the semifinals. I hope I explained that well. It's it's a hard concept to explain. No, you explained it perfectly. I, I didn't put it right. My, my point was a lot of times, like, okay, let's take an example of Don, Dominic team in the French Open final a few, few, weeks, few weeks ago. And you could see he was serving up, he was amped up. Of course, the result is, you know, we all know it was, it became a pretty one-sided match and that too pretty quickly. But in the first set, team was just giving it his all. So I think uh, what I'm trying to say is, even the Federer and the Djokovic and these guys are so seasoned, but I think their intensity picks up. And like you said, of course, they're not trying, uh, they're not intentionally not trying enough or enough hard in the first week. It's just like, the, it's this. you can feel there's something extra in the second week. That's all I meant. Oh no no I, I, no! Anyway, I wasn't challenging what you were saying at all. I I, I agree with I agree with you completely. Uh, I was just talking about the general impression that uh, that sometimes uh, people seem to think that the elite players just in the first in the first few rounds don't really give their best effort. Uh, they they give their best. Here's what they might do, Sakib. That what they might do is if they go up couple of breaks in the in the in the first set say Federer breaks twice and goes up for love in the first set now for the next four games he might just focus on his serves try a, a slice serve that he's been working on I mean I'm just coming up with ideas here or try a kick serve to a certain spot on the service box that he's been working on and just win his serves and not care maybe too much about losing a return point or two because he knows probably that even if he loses, uh, even if the other person holds serve, it'll be 4-1. He'll still get to serve to go off 5-1. He 
even if he loses the next game at 5-2, he'll probably close out the set at 6-2. So then in those return games, for example, he might want to try something new for uh, 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 maybe a big down-the-line direct winner on a first serve or maybe a slice forehand return. You know, they might try things like that that they would not try in the final on a fourth set tiebreaker. Of course, they're, they're going to stick with what works for them. That I understand. That is possible. But the idea that, uh, that you know, they on purpose stay at third or fourth gear because they're going to feel like they're going to need that fifth gear for the second week. So they're trying to keep some of it in reserves is just not accurate. It's, 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 it's not correct. I, I don't think any player chooses on purpose to play at a lower level than they possibly can. Yeah, I think that's, I think that we can all agree upon that. That's a very fair assessment. And uh, yeah, so I, I know you mentioned, you know, Federer's uh, section and there's not many uh, big names besides uh, Raonic and Anderson, who himself hasn't reached a quarterfinal anywhere besides the US Open. So that's a big match for him uh, against Morfis. But let's talk about Stefano Tsitsipas. I know earlier in the year we have talked at this very forum about him a couple of times. Uh, and you did mention a technical uh, part of his game where he's hitting too much of the back foot. Uh, and now, given his success on clay, and especially he's looked pre- pretty good on grass, according to me, so far, especially at this Wimbledon. Uh, what do you think of his game? Is he a natural grass court, grass court player? Or has he corrected some of that back foot tendencies? Or, or he can compensate uh, for that hitting on the back foot on grass court and still not be caught on off guard? No, you're right. The, the very last thing you said is is the key to everything that you've said. I think he's, he I think he gets away with it here on grass because uh, because they because first of all there are not that many rallies to start with, and he's able to. He's a big guy who can put the ball away. And and, and let's remember he's a, he won juniors here. Am I correct on this? He, didn't he win the juniors w- Wimbledon? I think he lost in the finals. Uh, in the wrong. finals, okay, he lost in the finals. So, so he can play on on grass. And no, that uh, that that little uh, you know uh, hitch that we've talked about about him sometimes getting back, uh, getting caught on his back foot. It's still there, but it doesn't matter maybe as much here. So his 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 win today was impressive. Although Fabiano, in my opinion, is as soft a third round as you can get at Wimbledon. But nevertheless, he's uh, you know he's he's won. Uh, uh, he beat Donaldson, a very tough opponent, in five sets. And today he comes he comes out uh, after a tough four-setter and a tough five-setter in first and second rounds. He comes off in the, in a very effortless three-set straight victory against Fabiano. And he's got to play Isner now against whom he will probably not have many long rallies. And it, it's actually a, an opportunity of a lifetime for him. And and uh, and uh, no, I'm on the Sitsipas boat. He's, he's looking very good. He's looking very good. And look at this draw, um, Sakib. I mean, he's playing Isner. And then after Isner, he's going to, um, if if he beats him, okay, if he were to pull the upset, then he would have to play McDonald, or uh, who will then play the winner of Novak and Raonic. Now, let's imagine for a second that Novak upsets Raonic. And, uh, you know, Tsitsipas has a chance against any of those players. So, you, you know, you're talking about a 19-year-old kid who – Hopefully, does not look at the draw too much here, and is just focused on Isner. Because if, if I were in his place, I'd probably be looking at the draw and thinking, "Oh my God, I'd start dreaming." You know. Yeah, a couple of things. You're right. He did win the boys' edition of the 2016 uh, championships, and mm-hmm. him and Isner have only played once. That was last year in Shanghai, and Sitsipas lost in two tie breaks. So yeah, this could be a close match. He re- he probably has a shot against Isner. Yes, he definitely is playing well. 
And uh, one more thing on Tsitsipas, uh, Jason Goodall, you know, who we often talk about is one of the better voices in tennis. He was just talking on ESPN uh, with, I believe, uh, Mario Fernandez or, uh, mm-hmm. or Chris McHenry. So, but he did say Tsitsipas has all the shots in the book. Now, is it the bias that most fans, I know he's an analyst, but I'm just going to use that standard. A lot of people drool over Tsitsipas backhand. It's pretty good. We talked about it. But he himself told me, you know, when he was a guest in the early days of the podcast, that's his favorite shot where he dictates is his forehand. And I've noticed he really lives off that forehand. Backhand is very picturesque. But is it a tendency because, you know, of course, you know, we have been, you know, uh, floored by Federer's, you know, brilliance over the years. Then we look at Tommy Haas and Grigor Dimitrov and, you know, and now Sitsipas. Is it a tendency anytime someone has a one-time, a one-hand backhand, we just make him a complete all-court player? Or in Sitsipas' case, he really has the tools? He does have the tools. What's interesting about what you said is that a lot of times we we marvel over one-handed backhand hitters because aesthetically it looks good. It's it's more classic uh, style. It's more uh, you know the tennis book encyclopedia type of style backhand. And those that do it well aesthetically, it looks great. But it, you would you will find it hard to show any players with a one-handed backhand. Who have better backhands than 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 forehands? Okay, in, in men or women, you have two-handed backhand hitters in men and women for whom you might be able to say his backhand or her backhand is better than his or her forehand. But with uh, with with one-handed players, as nice and aesthetic as their one-handed backhand may look, they will still prefer to to uh, to use their forehand as a weapon. And for good reasons, because they can accelerate more with the uh, with uh, with the forehand. You have to muscle less with the front of the arm and then and the front of the body. Whereas with the back, with a one handed backhand, you have to use your back muscles, your shoulder muscles more. So, although he has all the shots in the book, I completely understand the fact that he may see himself his forehand as the bigger weapon with which to win the points. And I think same works for dominant team, but you do bring up something very interesting, and I want to learn more now. Uh, so, to your observation about single-hand backhand players, their forehand is the more uh, alpha shot in there. So, is Richard Gasquet the exception because of his grip? And second uh, part of the question is, back in the day when people were doing more serve and volley, the guys like Patrick Rafter and Edberg, their forehands were pretty much liabilities. So, what has changed? Why single-hand backhand players of this era are relying more on the forehand as the shot where they're going to dictate their tennis, while in the past, Edberg and Rafter you know, could not stay in a rally? for long on the baseline. Yeah, another example of that would be Yannick Noah, who also had a, had a very good backhand and uh, a slice especially, and his forehand was shaky. Uh, and uh, to, just to add to the names that you mentioned, but Sakib, l- l- let's repeat the names that you just mentioned. Uh, you, talked, you, you mentioned Rafter, uh, I mentioned uh, Noah, mm-hmm. you mentioned Edberg. Um, yes. G- uh, Gaske is, is, is a current player. I'm talking about the older guys. Back then, yeah, I'm sorry. Edberg, Edberg. Right. Back then, you could get away with with using a lot of slice on your backhand. In fact, Lendl, who had an excellent drive backhand or a topspin backhand, at times he would use his slice, which was his which was his lesser shot on the on the backhand later in his career, especially. Although as a youngster, he hit the slice plenty, but uh, after a certain point in his career, once he once he reached the top, he went with his top spin and his drive a lot more. But he would go back to slice occasionally. In today's tennis, with a one, if you're going to slice your one-handed backhand all the time, especially in the, in in men's tennis, I would say you're going to get drilled. 
So you have to develop a, a topspin backhand. In other words, a drive backhand. The 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 best example of that is uh, is Stan, Stan Wawrinka. He can he can whack his one-handed backhand. Now there is a guy who, or along with Dominic Team, who can hit it, who can hit the ball on his one-handed backhand as hard as he can on the forehand side. But even Wawrinka will move around whenever he can and still go for his forehand as the put-away shot, simply because as you move around the ball, it's easier to generate pace with a one-handed um, with a one-handed forehand shot than with a one-handed backhand shot. You have to turn your body more. You have to move your feet around more. You have to rotate your hips more. It, it's just harder to generate. If the ball comes straight to your backhand, yes, that's fine. For example, Wawrinka in the in the French Open final that he won against Novak Djokovic was very more than happy to to rally one, with his one-handed backhand back and forth with Novak's uh, two-handed backhand. In other words, a cross-court backhand rally. That was a winning pattern for Wawrinka in that uh, in that match because he knew that it was coming back to his backhand and it was a, it was a known pattern. But if you're in a rally where where both players are playing all around court and hitting the ball hard. To constantly switch and, and move around and hit a backhand when you can just take one step around and, and accelerate with your forehand is just not a good choice. And the, 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 so, therefore, in today's tennis, uh, you know, I, I, names like Ed Burke, Patrick Rafter, Yannick Noah, if they were to play today, I would I would dare them to uh, to to still use their backhand over their forehand and only stick to slice. They would have to come over the top. Uh, over the top of the ball more. And then what ex- what's exposed is that you cannot muscle it on a one-handed backhand coming over the top all the time like you can with your forehand. You can slice it all the time, but in today's tennis, that's just not a, not, not a winning combination. Okay, so I think that was very insightful uh, as usual. So let's switch on the other Wimbledon legend that was in action today. Actually, two were. Uh, Serena Williams, and she was playing uh, Kiki Mladenovic. Uh, so is she looking like she's, you know, gaining momentum? Again, with her also, there's always uh, the talk or the conversation is, you know, she raised her level when the chips were down. or And she did that because I, I, I was following the match, you know, on Twitter and, you know, some, some, some conversations, but I was not watching the match. So what's your impression? And is she, is she peaking for the second week? Yes. She, today she played better, clearly better than the first, uh, the, the, her first two matches. Although... Her match against Tomova, I did not see the first set. I actually saw the second set that she won 6-4, but she won the first set 6-1. I did not see that, but I'm assuming that she played fairly well there. But today, today I thought that she played the best she's played uh, so far this week. And she played and she played well on clutch points when she needed to. I mean, she finished the match extremely strong. And and here's another thing, too. You started your question with, uh, or your, your comment with... Um, uh, Serena Williams is is, uh, is is starting to peak, and or is starting to play well, or or raising her level. I think the draw is opening up for her nicely, also. And, uh, and uh, you know, you, now she's going to end up playing Evgenia Rodina, who um, who finished the match injured against Madison Keys, although she pulled it off and won it in the third. She actually um, finished the match at less than one hundred percent. Now, lucky for her, there's still two more days. You know, there's the Sunday off. So they're going to play Monday, but uh, I'm really liking Serena Williams' chances here. I will say this though, and I don't know if if you just wanted to keep it at Serena, or did you want to move on to Serena's section of the draw? Is that okay if I move into that area? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. What I was going to say is, you know, starting off with Serena is uh, is that um, I'm looking at the at the uh, at the at her side of the draw. Okay, you know, she's got a she her draw did open up, of course, instead of playing Madison Keys, who would have been a very um, a top notch opponent on paper at least. She's going to play Rodina, who who said today that Serena Williams was her idol. That's usually not a good sign when a player is about to play someone that they claim to be her idol or his idol. That usually doesn't end well for them. But uh, but she's going to play, uh, you know, Serena Williams. And then, but I'm looking at the rest of Serena's section. For as many times as you've heard in the last 48 hours, how many seats have... Uh, have fallen and how the how the draw has opened up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, let me just count very quickly the names that are the eight names that are left there: Pliskova, Bertens, Gorges, Dekic, Serena Williams, Rodina, Georgi, and Makarova. That is still a very tough uh, section of the draw, even with all the seeds out. So nothing is a cakewalk there, and, that, and and quite frankly, that shows you the depth of the of of, uh, of WTA field right now. With you got eight out of ten uh, top seeds uh, who have uh, fallen, and yet you still have a field like that. I mean, that is a strong field of eight names right there that are still left. You know, the, even if even if Serena does not come through here, even if Serena was not to go to the finals here, you still have someone of very high quality, uh, a very high quality WTA player who's still going to reach the finals of the tournament uh, from the bottom of the draw. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's very true. The draw is definitely you know uh, open in a good way. That's it's very competitive, and you don't know who who may come through. Serena still, uh, I picked her to win the tournament. Uh, you know when the tournament started, and I, I think she, you know she will have uh, if she gets through the first week, she'll be very tough to beat. And, you're on course. You're on course, Saki. And then that's hard to cut you in the middle there. But, you know, you, you, you're, I mean, look at this. You got Pliskova and Bertans playing each other now in round four. And then there's Gorgias, who's, who's, who's playing well. There's Vekic, who's playing well. And then and then you got Georgia and Makarova. And Makarova is having a rebirth here. You know, so it's, it's, a, very tough, uh, it's a very tough field to pick. And, you know, you're, you're correct to jump on the Serena Williams boat. And that would, that, 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 that may, you may turn out to be, that may turn out to be the wizard pick of all at the end of the tournament. Yeah, let, let's see. Let's wait and see. You're right. And um, then let's. I want to. You know, I'll give you uh, give you a chance. Maybe you can preview a match for our listeners here. Pliskova and and Burton's. Right. That's uh, is the next match. Yes, Pliskova and Burton's would play on Manic Monday. That is correct. How would you break that match down and maybe like in a few sentences, a few points? And uh, who do you think this matchup is going to favor at this point? I'm going to go with Pliskova there, although I'm a big Bertens fan. Uh, one one area that Bertens could give uh, trouble to Pliskova is Bertens has one of the best anticipations on the WTA Tour. A lot of times uh, your, her opponents will hit a great shot and think the point is one, and yet Bertens is right there to get the ball back. She anticipates well, so that may help her against Pliskova. But I think Pliskova's shots are just very heavy, and Pliskova... Is not Pliskova's balls are not going to bounce up like Venus Williams' balls did today, and even Venus could have taken out Bertens today in, in their terrific match, by the way. But uh, but when she, you know her volleys and her overheads uh, uh, let her down. 
but uh, but I'm a big Bertens fan. But I do believe that Pliskova's shots are a little bit too flat, a little bit too hard, and they're going to come um, to the area from which Bertens doesn't like to hit, which is uh, somewhere in the knee calf area. She's going to have to hit a lot of balls from there. And the Bertens is a much better hitter when she if she can get the ball at about hip level, or chest level. You know that that's the kind of level that she likes to hit hit the ball at. Now she flattens out her back backhands through Bertens. She did she did a lot at least today, and that's another thing. You know against Pliskova, I don't know if she wants to get in a flat versus flat type of duel. I think Pliskova will get the best of her if they get into that kind of duel. If Bertens can use angles. Uh, sharp angles, not necessarily short topspin angles, but just simply sharp, sharp angles from the baseline, and make Pliskova run. Uh, that's that's one chance that she may have. But I'm afraid that Pliskova is not going to give her that chance. So I'm uh, I'm actually favoring Pliskova in that match. Oh, fair enough. So on that note, let's uh, turn the page for tomorrow's uh, order of play. Are there any matches that excite you? And if you want to preview some of those matches for the for the listeners here. Sure. Um, well, there's for, for one thing, there's uh, the, 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 there's the number one seed in women's that's uh, that's going to play for. Uh, believe it or not, she's still alive, <laughs> but she's going to play. She, Simona Halep is going to play Sia, and uh, that's a tricky match. But uh, I'm I'm uh, excited to watch uh, Simona one more time. I watched her, her previous round because I I, do, I believe that when people uh, when the draw was first made. And people, uh, you know, we, we love to get into, into, into this discussion about who's going to go how far and who's going to win, and et cetera, et cetera. I don't think anybody picked uh, Simona Halep to win or even to go very far. But I believe that the version of Halep that we have now is a, is a whole different version than, w- than what we had two months ago. So, uh, I w- so I'm going to be interested to, see in, to, to watch that match just to see where Simona's level is. I do believe he, she will be at CF. As, as, as tricky an opponent as Sia is, I believe she will beat her. That's one match that interests me. At the same time, there's the Minor and, uh, and Nadal. Um, I do not believe the Minor has a chance against Nadal. I, I think the Minor is actually similar to Nadal in terms of, um, in terms of not, not style or, or the amount of topspin on the ball, or et cetera, but in terms of what their plan A's are. And uh, when you have a matchup of two players where one does everything that the other does well, but a little bit better than the other one. Usually, it turns into a rout. Uh, you know, one of the, one of Deminor's weaknesses, in fact, by his own admission after his loss to Edmund in French Open, is that he needs to be able to put balls away better. He needs to be able to uh, to uh, when he gets chances inside the baseline, that he needs to just drill the ball and win the point. And you know, that was one of his one of one of his weaknesses that he himself mentioned. And uh, as tough as he is, as quick as he is, and as much as he can hit, um, he can use uh, all court, he's going to end up getting into these rallies against Nadal where he's going to look great for seven, eight, nine, ten shots maybe, but Nadal is going to win 90, 90% of them. So I, I, I'm interested uh, in watching that match uh, in the sense that only if I have time again after Halep and Hissier. Another match that interests me that uh, that not many people may 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 think about is Yuri Vesely and Fabio Fognini. Uh, I'm um, I'm a Vesely fan in the sense that I believe he's a, he's a very good player. He's got potential and he can go far. And I would like to see him beat uh, a player like Fabio Fognini at a tournament like Wimbledon. 
And, uh, you know, with his, with his all-around game, his big serve, and uh, his ability to create pace from anywhere on the, on, on the court, I want to see him do well. I would like to see him do well against a shot maker like Fognini just to prove that he can, uh, you know, he can jump up a level from where he's been for the last year or so. And then, of course, you have your other matchups. You know, there's plenty tomorrow. There's, uh, there's uh, Ashley Barty and Kasatkina. There's Kyle Edmund Novak Djokovic. There's Osaka Kerber. These are all terrific matches. There's Kyrgios and Nishikori. So we can talk about all of them. And, and I'm sure you'll want to talk about Ernest Gulbis and Alexander Zverev. But since we cannot talk about all of them, I just wanted to give you my opinion on three of them. And, uh, you know, that's Halep, Nadal, Deminor, and Vesely and Fognini are the ones that I'll probably focus on the most. So not to jump ahead, but is Vesely the kind of player? Because I've seen him uh, live at the U.S. Open against Ivo Karlovic. I think it's a match, uh, I believe, he won in five sets. Uh, this guy has a huge serve. I only could walk away that his movement is maybe not as world-class as is, but I'm sure all pros are working on some kink or the other, so maybe he can figure that out. But is he the kind of guy, if he does beat Fonini, and you said beating Fonini would be hell of an effort, you think he has the firepower and the big serve to trouble Nadal at Wimbledon? If that yes, he does. I, yes, he does. I think. Uh, I mean, I don't know about beating, but tr- but your question was trouble Nadal. Yes, or, or Vesely has the has the firepower in the game to do it. I don't know. I, I'm not sure that this is why I would like to see him beat Fognini and face someone like Nadal to to for, for his for his for his well being too. That way he can he can uh, gauge himself where he stands. But uh, if if we were to just look at his game. Yes, he does have the trouble. He does have the potential to trouble a player like Nadal, and and especially on on, on the surface because of his serve and, and his and his uh, and his um, big shots. But also this on the surface, his his uh, his weakness, which is movement, will not stand out as much. He will be able to finish ball finish points quicker if he's on. And uh, so yes, he, he does. Uh, he definitely does have out of those. Okay, out of the. You know, that little section that Rafa Nadal is in with Deminar, Fognini, and Vesely, I would say that on grass, out of those three guys, Vesely would have the most chance to trouble Nadal. Mm. Uh, on that note, Murda, I know, I mean, I always do learn a lot from you. And uh, uh, I know we've talked offline about Deminor. I still think I know you, Andrew, and uh, Matt overwhelmingly shut me down, which is fine. I mean, but I still <laughs> think what I've seen in Deminor, uh, there's uh, there's a flatness of shots again. Uh, I don't know how to break it down as nicely as you, but I think there is an element of Dolgopolov on the forehand that he he hits a very quick or short compact forehand, and his serve seems big enough for his size. And I think he's someone uh, a lot of commentators were comparing to Leighton Hewitt, and that could be the demise when you start getting compared to a grade of the game. But I think he's someone. Uh, I think again, I could be wrong like many times tomorrow morning, but I think he. He can definitely stay with Nadal. I don't know if he's going to beat him, but I think he can definitely trouble him. I no, think can, he's a step up in matchups in terms of what he's faced so far, and I expect at least a good first set, and maybe even Dimonor can take a set. That's of course, no, no. Just like you said, you know, you said I've been wrong many times. I could be wrong again, and yeah, so 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 can we. So I mean, so can I. I've, I, I. I've been wrong many times before, and I could be wrong, and you may turn out right. He, he's very athletic, and yes, he does have a certain flatness to his shots. But I, I think he's. Uh, he, I, I do. I do not believe he has the firepower, though. He, you know, he 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 counterpunches well. He moves well. I I I still think that um, 
to beat Nadal, you have to have shots that uh, that Nadal doesn't have himself, perhaps. And I don't see Deminor. I see Deminor playing the same type of game that Nadal plays. That's the problem. Then let's the let's travel back five six years ago, and I know you know this player really well, Steve Darcy's, because you have a very good interview with him on your on your website. But now, mm-hmm. giving uh, the account that you have provided, so then is Steve Darcy's the most unlikely man uh, who, if we were to look back, who who would have beaten Nadal? I mean, game wise, because everyone else had like a power game going. Even Dustin Brown, Lukas Rasol, and Gilles Muller and Nick Kyrgios obviously have great serves. So is uh, is Nadal's worst loss in terms of the style of play? Is it is it through Darcy's on twenty thirteen? Yeah. I would need to go one by one through through uh, through all the matches that Nadal lost in Wimbledon. But yes, to my knowledge, out of the ones that I can remember, that's the most shocking loss that uh, Rafa has suffered at, at Wimbledon. Because uh, just like you said, uh, Darcis is not a power player. He does he does have a pretty good serving. He can serve in volley. Darcis can serve in volley very well. Uh, but he doesn't have this huge, powerful serve. He places it well, but he doesn't have this uh, you know blow the court away type of serve. He doesn't. His forehand is not that great. I mean, he can accelerate with his forehand, but it's not a it's not a booming forehand. His backhand, on the other hand, is that he's he's got a great slice. But usually, Rafa eats slices for breakfast. You know, the opponent mm-hmm. slices for breakfast. So, you know, I watched that match, and I guess I, it, it's no longer that clear in my mind how how it happened. I remember uh, Steve Darcy's serving and volleying a lot, and Rafa just. Unable to return, missing some return, some returns in the net. Some of some of Darcy's slice serves were curving into his body. I remember that, but beyond that, I don't remember much. And and now that we talked about it, I'm curious again how that happened because that is a shocking defeat, indeed. It's it's a different caliber of player Darcy's is that Rafa lost to at Wimbledon than the other opponents against whom he's had trouble. Okay, on that note, let's wrap it up and come back to current times. I know we haven't spoken, spoken much about Novak Djokovic. He's looked pretty impressive. He's up against Kyle Edmund. Uh, now, is uh, Djokovic curious? Is is that showdown going to happen? I know they still have to win two more matches. And are they both primed for a great match? Because uh, what, I've, what I'm seeing so far, that's a match many projected to happen. Uh, they still have both. Uh, they still both have to win two matches each. How do you see their chances if uh, that does materialize? I know we are like a good six to five days away from that match. Yeah, you're. Uh, yes, yeah. That's the, the we're we're pulling a lot of hair if we're if we're going to talk about that match because because they have tough opponents in front of them. But if that does if, if that matchup does take place, I will take Djokovic. Okay, let's talk. About I'm sorry. Let's talk about the current level. What you've seen or read about them in the first two matches? Are they how how are they looking? Okay, Djokovic's level I think is also not where it needs to be. But he's definitely getting, he's definitely playing better. But he's, he's not where it needs to be. I mean, you know, the, what I just said about Federer's match earlier, I would say the same about Djokovic too. Uh, against Zebalos, he, I watched uh, the first two sets. Uh, in fact, the second set I watched, uh, I watched later focusing on replay. And uh, I think Djokovic is hitting the ball very well. His movement is still, is still not there. I don't think he's at his top level. He will need to play better, in my opinion, although he won his first two matches, 6-3, 6-1, 6-2, and then his next match, I believe, 1-2-2 two, two also, something like that. Uh, he, he, don't, I, I, if I were to look at the set scores, I would think he must be just playing incredibly well, but having watched 
four out of those six sets or three sets plus almost another fourth set out of those six sets, I feel that Novak is not uh, is not at his top level yet either. Now, Edmund is a great uh, test for him tomorrow. And I think if he wins, he's going to play um, Kachanov, possibly the winner of Kachanov and Tiafoy. And uh, that th- after those two matches, if Djokovic win- wins those two matches in straight sets or playing well, you know, or, or or even better than what he has shown so far, then I believe he will he will uh, he will go to the semifinal there without a doubt. I don't think anybody from the other side, Kyrgios, Nishikori, Gulbis, or Zverev, can take Djokovic out in the quarterfinals if Djokovic makes it there playing well. And um, um, and and as far as Kyrgios goes. I would like to see him get to the quarterfinals first. You know, the, the, Sakib, every uh, major that takes place four times a year, there's there's always one or two of them in which Kyrgios dazzles and does well, and everybody talks about him, everybody pumps him up, and then by the time the quarterfinal comes around, he's no longer around. Uh, he's never in the semifinals. So I think uh, I'm going to reserve judgment for what Kyrgios can accomplish until I actually see him get to the quarterfinals here. He would need to beat Nishikori, and then he would need to beat, beat the winner of Zverev and Gulbis. If he can make it through those two rounds and get to the quarterfinals, if he has to play Djokovic, I will still go with Djokovic, but but at least Kyrgios will have shown something for me to be able to say the, in the next major that he may get to the quarterfinals, okay, he's ready to go further. But I'm not I'm not sold on Kyrgios yet uh, uh, going to the semifinals or finals or breaking through at a major. All right, I think uh, we covered a lot, Mert. Thanks for your time. And I think these are some valuable insights. And uh, let's look forward to the action tomorrow. And then maybe, you know, if uh, you have the bandwidth to do one more, maybe we can have you again on the podcast as we wrap up the business and, uh, next week. Of course, absolutely. So I can... Before before you go, I would like to ask you your pick on Ernest Gulbis and Alexander Zverev, and and you have to you have to be objective here. What do you think? No, I, I think it's Zverev is the favorite because my only uh, concern for Zverev was uh, if he's fully recovered from that hamstring injury. He was moving okay against Fritz, and today he was pretty clinical. I didn't see the match, but the score seemed that he was in full control. He won two and one. Uh, he mm-hmm. has a serve, he has a ground strokes, and he won't give many free points. Uh, and because Gulbis, you know, does have those, you know, ups and downs, like even lost the four set six one to Jamor and then came back, steadied the ship. He's definitely focused in his own Gulbis ways. I mean, I know you, we've talked about a lot about him from the French qualies. This is, the, I think, most matches he's won in a in a time of a month since his 2014 top ten, you know, ascendance. Because he's been injured, yes. he's been away from the tour. I followed him very closely. He won, I think, three matches in Bordeaux. He won four in Paris. Then he won one more somewhere in, I think, Prague or some uh, challenger. And now he's won five in on grass. So in the last yeah. seven weeks, Gulbis has won like nine or ten matches. That's probably the number of matches he's won the last couple of years on tour. So For sure. Know, he's For a big sure. match guy. He has a lot of self-belief. But I think Zverev is a notch up. I'll be very surprised if Ernest comes through in this one. But you never know. It's another day. Another okay. Great. Thank you, Saki. All right. Thanks, everyone who's listening to this podcast. Uh, check out our uh, GoFundMe campaigner because uh, we have you know launched that a month and a half ago we've seen a lot of support please share with your friends and within your tennis community as you know matt zemek always promotes those uh, we've brought in like good writers and thanks to mert we have access through jimmy 48 photography 
uh, as well for the WTA matches. We are a small outlet doing our best to bring you, uh, you know, good coverage, which we think is pretty, you know, we put a lot of effort into this coverage. I hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, then we can also bring in guests like Mert, who've been part of the team and a friend of the podcast. So once again, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back with another episode over the weekend. Bye now. 